Think Tank with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. New Jersey Resources, the law firm of Gibbons PC, United Airlines, MD Advantage Insurance Company, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, and by Kessler Foundation, changing the lives of people with disabilities. Promotional support provided by Tap Into TV and by Jaffe Communications, supporting our state's innovators and change makers with public relations, creative services, and more. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. The program you're about to see was taped earlier this year. Clearly, so much has changed since then, and unfortunately, a lot of uncertainty and fear remain. But the content in this Think Tank podcast and the issues explored will still matter once we get through these very difficult times together. Most importantly, we hope and pray that you and your family are safe. So without further ado, Think Tank, the podcast. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. We're coming to you from East May Media Studios in beautiful Little Falls, New Jersey. It is our honor uh, to kick off this program with a very compelling interview we did a while back with a gentleman by the name of Selwyn Robb. I've been a longtime fan of Mr. Robb's for a long time. He's the author of a powerful, compelling book called Five Families. He's an investigative journalist. He knows more about organized crime, about the mafia. When I was growing up as a kid, we were told not to use the term mafia. There's a mafia. And so Selwyn Robb talked about it in this book. I was reading the book for months before we had him in. We talked to him at the Tisch WNET studios in New York and Lincoln Center. So here's what he talked about. A, he talked about where the mob is today, where it was in its heyday back 30, 40 years ago, how disorganized it is today, how hard it is to recruit uh, for the mob today, how legalized gambling has changed the nature of the mob. He also did this. Uh, I was just watching The Irishman. I like the movie. Selwyn Robb said, it's fiction. It's great entertainment, but it's fiction. But I also recently went back to watch Goodfellas. Nick Pileggi wrote Goodfellas. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. And Selwyn Robb says in this interview that it was the most realistic portrayal of the violence, the crudeness, um, and everything about organized crime that you wanted to know or maybe didn't want to know. So this interview talks about the mafia today, talks about uh, entertainment and the media and how it portrays organized crime. Uh, he also talks about the fact that um, organized crime in many ways and um, the fact that it's connected to so many of us who grew up in certain kinds of neighborhoods. I'll just disclose this for me. In the neighborhood I grew up in, Newark, New Jersey, it was a fact of life. Mob figures were everywhere. They owned the restaurants. They owned the clubs in the area. And we knew who they were. We knew who to stay away from. We knew who to, to be, I know it sounds corny, uh, we were respectful, but not engaged with them. But they were part of life. And in New York City that Rob knows very well, you couldn't build a building, you couldn't get a contract, you couldn't do business with the city um, if you were not connected to the mob in virtually any business. So this interview with Selwyn Rob is powerful, compelling, educational, engaging, and uh, it's an interview that I learned a lot from as an aficionado of someone who has always been fascinated by organized crime. But even if you're not, 
It's a fact of American life. The American mob, American mafia, it's so and rob, one-on-one. You may not have heard of TAVR. Raj and Sandhya have. It's the minimally invasive alternative to open-heart valve replacement. RWJ Barnabas Health is New Jersey's leading TAVR provider, and we continue to perfect it. Patients are often back to their lives in just a few days. Innovative valve replacement surgery. Because you can't be replaced. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Someone Rab is the author of Five Families, The Rise, Decline, and Resurgence of America's Most Powerful Mafia Empires, New York Times bestseller. Good to see you. I've been fascinated by you for years. A good reason. Yeah. I love your uh, modesty, too. Here's my question. Why do you think we, so many of us, are fascinated by the mob? Well, one reason is the uh, aura of glamour. Especially it was Hollywood has also helped produce and generate about the mob. And it's a vicarious kick. You look at these people, they don't really work hard. Some of them make a lot of money. They have plenty of women. It's a great life to a lot of people. And it's also the idea that it's uh, consistency. Mm. It's been with us so long, mm. at least 50 to 60 years, and it's become part of the fabric of our life. So we're in New York, we're taping in New York. The quote unquote five families back in the day in the 70s and 80s when they were really powerful. Where are they today? Well, they're, they're wounded. They're severely wounded, but they're not mortally wounded. And they have uh, one thing you have to remember about why the mafia continues to exist so long is that it's a mirror image of American capitalism. They, they latch on to whatever is working. Like today, it's internet, internet gambling. And it's actually made them more money than the old fashioned way where they had, uh, where they had uh, you had a, a gambling parlor or pool right. room. It's, it's more modern. And the bread and butter of, uh, the American mafia has always been gambling and loan sharking. They're symbiotic. A lot of people who gamble with them then need a loan shark. So it works terrific. The and rates they, are still the same? Well, yes. And it's, all they do is modernize. You know, years ago, when you needed a telephone and you needed a teletype, they did that. Today, they don't need that. They can go on internet. And it's even better. All the bets are made out, uh, out, of, the, out of the country, South America and elsewhere. And there's no way the IRS or anybody can even check on them. So they're thriving more than ever on gambling. Remind people, as we are, in fact, here in the heart of Manhattan, the impact, particularly in the 70s and 80s, that the mafia had on and continues to have on, because the impact remains, on building costs, on garbage, uh, construction. Just break that, break that down for people so they understand, well, as opposed to, hey, listen, they're not hurting anybody. You know, they, they, they don't hurt civilians. That is a crock. What we didn't realize that for over 60 years, mainly due to J. Edgar Hoover's inactivity and didn't want to tackle them, is they were picking all our pockets on clothes, on garbage collection, on construction, on food. Whatever we did, they had a piece of it. And they thrived on it. Um, so that's what kept them going. And the public didn't know. And you find that both the press and the government were fairly indifferent. When I used to complain to people at City Hall about the mob running the Fulton Fish Market, they said, if we crack down, where are the restaurants going to get their fish tomorrow? 
It was that. That kind was a reaction of government. That was a government sort of being aloof and not interested in it. And we and in the saying media. Saying it wasn't our problem. And sorry for interrupting. And we in the media. Why did we turn a blind eye until I would argue uh, John Gotti and he became fascinated by him? But I don't even know how objectively well, my, we covered them. My experience was that they were only interested in the murders or the deaths yes. or, or what John Gotti's socks were. Or crazy Joe Gallo down at Umberto's. Yeah, but, we'll be there for that. Or yeah. Joe Colombo But they weren't Columbus. interested in the economic aspect. Because the more substantive too, stuff. Well, because it was very hard to get. It was very hard to investigate. And uh, like everybody else, even uh, newspapers and TV, it, it meant an investment. And you weren't sure what the produce was going to be. Yeah. But the real threat, and we're lucky we escaped, unlike what happened in Italy, was the mob's um, interest in taking control of politics. Of the government. Yeah. Well, you know, well in Palermo, one, and I was well, in Palermo back in the day, they, they, took, they controlled the government. Well, they controlled a lot of big cities, New York, Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia. And uh, an aspect of this was that in New York, for many years, they ran Tammany Hall. And if you wanted to get the Democratic nomination for mayor in New York, you had to go to Frank Costello or somebody. Go back across the river where I'm born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. The mayor of my city when I was a young boy, you, you know what I'm saying right away. All the, the mayors there were convicted. But the, but the mafia controlled Hugh Adonisio, who was the mayor, lost in 1970 to Ken Gibson, you can look it up, went to jail for taking bribes from the mob for city contracts. It was commonplace, was it not? Precisely. And we're lucky that unlike in Italy, where the Christian Democratic Party leaned on uh, the mafia to produce the, produce the votes in Sicily. So we escaped. They were interested, mm. in, but they never succeeded. And we're lucky about that. Let me ask you, are you fascinated by the non... That, uh, are you fascinated by organized crime outside of the mafia? I mean, Colombian mob, Russian mob, are you fascinated by that? Well, well, the distinction is this. They come and they go. They don't last. They don't understand the culture of America. One of the things that made the mafia in, in America so powerful was that they understood our culture. And they had a gene, brilliant genius, criminal genius, Lucky Luciano, who invented them. Now, you, sure, they're into narcotics. There are other people that have rivals. But if you take out one of the heads of the other families, they disappear. Mm. The mafia continues because Luciano uh, invited- brought the commission together, the five well, families. Well, not just the commission, but the idea that the family was paramount. Everybody else could be sacrificed, but the organization had to exist and continue to exist. And that's what distinguished them from the Jewish mobs, the uh, Irish mobs, the Latin mobs, the black mobs. They had one leader. That leader goes, organization goes. So let me ask you this, as we enter 20, 2020, and this will be seen in 2020. I say Trump and a mob, you say? Well, he acts, he liked to be a mob boss. He acts like a mob boss. Did he have relationships, well, business relationships with people in organized crime involving his, frankly, well, business the, activities? Well, the problem in New York, where he operated mainly, and in, don't forget also his gambling. If you were a contractor in New York or a developer, there was no question that you had to deal with the mob. Okay. Now he. But you didn't have to have Roy Cohen as your lawyer, who was the mob lawyer. <laughs> well, is that is that just a coincidence? I'm well, just asking. He was his mentor. He helped. He taught him. Okay. Taught him what? He taught him how. Well, he taught him always attack, never be defensive. But the idea was very simply 
is that he was, in effect, let's be honest about Trump, he was no different than the other developers. They all said, well, listen, I have nothing to do with the construction unions or the construction contractors. So they all sloughed it off that way. That's one of the reasons. Look, Trump was investigated by the FBI and a lot of other people, but they never laid a hand on him because he never had a direct result. He never had a direct contact with mafiosa. Mm. That's the distinction. Before he could farm it out. Yeah. Let me, before I let you go, um, I just add, and you just ruined something for me because I told you, uh, as we're doing this show, the Irishman's being talked about a lot. It'll be talked about in 2020 as well. You, you just said to me, it's made up. Now I'm a student of history. I'm watching Frank Sheeran, the Irishman, Jimmy Hoffa, right? Well, Hoffa existed, but Sheeran Hoffa existed, but, but Frank's, well, I don't want to give away the movie, go see it yourself. You say historically not accurate. It's good, it's good entertainment, Is but it it's history? lousy history. Lousy history? Because Sheeran didn't do any of the things he did that he claims to have done. It's all malarkey, as <sighs> um, Mr. Biden would say. <laughs> and, that, you know, it's made up. He claims yeah. he killed... He almost claims... Like, he claimed he killed Joey Gallo. He didn't kill Joey, Joey Gallo. Joey got down at Umberto's the in night Umberto's of his birthday. in the 70s. How, how about this one? The movie closest to portraying mob life, mafia life accurately, was it in fact Goodfellas? Uh, pretty close, but uh, even that was exaggerated because um, the hero in that story could never be a mobster because he was, he only had, uh, at that time you had to have- You're talking about Henry Hill. Yeah, Henry Hill had a, to, to get into the mob to be uh, inducted, both your parents had to had be to of be Italian Italy. origin, right. his weren't. But it's a bit exaggerated, but it's pretty close. Sopranos but the real, listen, the real uh, movie that made the mob in America was The Godfathers. And uh, again, it was so powerful as an example of how it inspired people mm. to become mobsters was Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was the underboss of John, John Gotti, Gotti when right? he was running the Gambino family. And as a teenager, he went to see the movie and he was so electrified, he didn't realize how important it was. It got him to become a mobster. So in, in that sense, they've adapted. They took the God, they took the Godfather movies, and even took the uh, musical theme, and and played it at their weddings, at their uh, every event. Uh, Mr. Rob, I want to thank you for joining us. You are a great historian, and we learned a lot from you, and we appreciate you joining us on One on One. Thank you. Good to be here. This is One on One. I'm Steve Adubato. Catch you next time. Thank you, my friend. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. Tank with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, New Jersey Resources, The Law Firm of Gibbons PC, United Airlines, MD Advantage Insurance Company, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, and by Kessler Foundation. Promotional support provided by Tap Into TV, and by Jaffe Communications. Transportation provided by Airbrook Limousine, serving the metropolitan New York, New Jersey area.
Welcome back to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. I'm now joined by the executive producer of Think Tank, Nicole Swinnerton. Um, we're about to set up a compelling debate. You know, we don't often do debates, but this is a debate between Alejandro Rubian, who is president and managing editor of New Jersey Second Amendment Society, and Brett Sabo, who's New Jersey chapter lead Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Um, it isn't a question of what we think about gun violence. It's a question of what the heck we do and two totally different perspectives on this. Absolutely. Um, the New Jersey Second Amendment Society and Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense are uh, on opposing sides of this gun debate. And uh, they really both discuss um, how both of their sides they think are the right sides. And there wasn't a lot of compromise. Um, none. Not I can't really, remember. No. I kept asking... As you're about to see, okay, where can we find, we say, where's the common ground? Did you see any? No. I don't think there is common ground on this, on this topic anymore. Okay, but here's the thing. One of the other issues that I did bring up here that, that you, you don't have kids yet, the question of arming teachers, that's, that's a powerful conversation, and there are different views on that as well. Do you think that's a possibility that across the nation that could happen? I mean, we do keep hearing about all these different ways to stop these shootings. And if that's the only solution, uh, that would be pretty surprising to me. I think that there are a lot of other ways that we could go about this before putting more guns in a classroom. But um, that's what a lot of people are proposing. And you know, it's interesting. It is state by state. You have to realize there are federal laws that dictate how guns are allowed or not allowed in certain situations. There are concealed weapon laws in states. You got to realize New Jersey has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation. The federal gun law is different. Texas, there are different laws. Wyoming, different laws, different culture, different environment, different situations that people find themselves in. Hunting impacts this whole question of gun violence. But when you have situations like in El Paso, Walmart situation there, Dayton, Ohio, the Vegas situation, Horrific. I call a situation a mass shooting, one right after the other. Um, by the time this show airs, unfortunately, there may be another one. The question is, when is enough enough and what do we do? And finally, there's some people who say that guns don't kill people. People do. You decide for yourself after you listen, listen to this very compelling Think Tank, the podcast debate on guns. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato. We're about to have a conversation about gun violence. Um, it's respectful, it's civil, but the folks here have very different views on it. First, I'd like to introduce uh, Brett Sabo, who is New Jersey chapter lead. Moms demand action for gun sense in America. Alejandro Rubian, who is, in fact, president and managing editor of New Jersey Second Amendment Society. Good to have you both. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, you were in the green room together right before, which is actually green, here at NJTV right before you came on. Mm -hmm. Do you wind up agreeing on any of these issues in the meantime? While we were in the green room? Yeah, like so universal background checks, you agree now on that? I don't know, we didn't talk about that. You didn't talk about that? And you agree on, on the whole question of red law, uh, red laws? Red flag laws. Red, red flag, flag laws. laws are what? Well, red flag laws were implemented that uh, people would have their rights removed without any due process uh, just by a sheer accusation from a loved one, a family is member. Is that how you define them? That's exactly how it's defined by the law. And Hold on. Oh, one more second. I've read the law. I've read the legislation. 
It says we will take away your rights with no due process. Please show me that because I've never seen that. Your firearms are taken away from you prior to getting a trial or being charged with a crime. So by claiming you're going to commit a crime or you may commit a crime is very draconian and it affects a lot of people. And so a whole range of law enforcement professionals are supportive of that because they're concerned about guns getting in the hands of those who are dangerous and have mental health issues or should not have a gun. Is this the due process issue that your colleague describes or the lack thereof? Um, there is plenty of due process built into the law. Um, there, I think it's after 10 days, there's a hearing. And the whole point of red flag laws is that you get the gun away from the person that could be harming themselves or someone else. And in fact, in states that do have red flag laws, like in Connecticut, um, the gun suicide rate drops almost immediately. Um, and so it's not... It's not about taking people's guns away. But you, aren't it's you about, concerned? But are you in any way concerned about guns being taken away from those who are law-abiding citizens? Aren't you concerned on some level about that? Um, I'm concerned more about the potential danger that parents and teachers and law enforcement could have that they can, um, that they can save other people. They can save their loved one. And then they can get the gun back when after their hearing, or it's only for a year, yeah. then they can mm. get their gun back. This is America, where we're innocent until proven guilty. What Brett just stated makes you guilty until you're proven innocent. And most importantly, the people this is going to affect the Hold most. On, are you charged with a crime? You're having your rights stripped away from you. Your firearms are being taken away. You're being treated as if you were charged with a crime and convicted of a crime. A right delayed is a right denied, and by taking your guns away just for one day without any due process, without being charged with a crime, without having any evidence of crime, mm -hmm. just by sheer accusation, so, is a modern-day witch hunt. Uh, Alejandro, let me ask you this. Um, first nine months of 2019, 21 deadly <coughs> excuse me, mass shootings across the country, total of 124 people killed. El Paso, Dayton, list goes on. Hopefully, as we do this program toward the end of October, there will not be another one anytime soon. Children, you don't need me to talk to you about the horrific school-related shootings. What's your solution? Over 95% of these crimes that have occurred have occurred in gun-free zones. It's society's most cruelest experiment, which guarantees that criminals would have a, a defenseless uh, group of people that they can attack. And that's why these areas are targeted by criminals and so, mentally excuse insane. Excuse me, do you believe that teachers should be armed? The places that have armed teachers have shown no evidence of any type of backlash or any type of so issues. So you believe teachers should be armed? I, I have firearm instructors that are competitive shooters that would like to be armed. There's principals, there's school administrators that would like to uh, have I'll them armed. I'll ask you one more time, just look for a yes or no. Do you believe teachers should be armed? I believe making the teachers defenseless, making the schools defenseless, is what attracts this crime. After the 1990 Gun-Free School Zone Act was indoctrinated, that's when school shootings skyrocketed. I'll take that as a yes. Go ahead. There is no proof that mass shooters target gun-free zones. Uh, I think if more guns made us safer, we'd be the safest nation in the world. Because? Because I don't think, they, I don't think more guns make us safer. I think um, the majority of mass shootings in this country are actually domestic violence shootings. Well, go back to schools for a second. But yeah. if a teacher, if a principal, if someone in that school who was trained, right, mm -hmm. certified to have a handgun, mm -hmm. to have some kind of gun, are you saying that some of the horrific murders, those shootings, could not be limited on some level if someone had a gun? I don't know. There was, there was an armed guard in Parkland. There was an armed guard, I believe, in Columbine. Even sharpshooters 
only hit their target, I think like 2% of the time or something. So just because someone is, just because someone is trained to use a gun does not mean that they're gonna be effective in a, in a mass shooting situation. But can we agree that there's no one quote solution, but there are things that we can do Absolutely. to help minimize gun violence. Absolutely. So I'm gonna ask you this, Al, if I could. Um, do, do, you, do, do you agree that universal background checks being discussed and debated, President Trump has said he's for it, he's against it. He's for it, he's against it. Not exactly sure as we tape this program where he is. Do you believe that universal background checks will help reduce gun violence? Well, let me just go back to the uh, Aurora shooter and the gun-free zone. He specifically drove past two other movie theaters 45 minutes out of his way because the movie theater he went to was a designated gun-free zone. That's why he went there. He passed two other movie theaters that allowed their, you know, the, the people that went to the movies to carry guns. So to make the argument that they don't target gun-free zones is absurd. It's FBI statistics. It background checks. Background Good checks. Good idea, right? We have universal background checks in New Jersey, and it still doesn't stop federally, the criminals. Federally, across the country, we do not have universal background checks. Do you support the idea? There's if you been support no evidence of showing that universal background checks reduce crime. If that were the case, Camden, Newark, and Trenton, New Jersey would be gun free. So I have no choice, respectfully, but to take that as a no, because you said New Jersey has universal background checks. Then I asked you about the country because there are 49 other states, and then you immediately argued that they're not effective. So I'm going to argue that if you, um, my assumption is that if you were in Congress, you'd vote against it. I would not support universal background checks. That would be a no. There's no evidence to prove that they work. But, but wait a minute. You're not convinced that they will help, but they won't hurt. What's the downside? Because there's no evidence to show that people are acquiring firearms through, universal, through the lack of the universal background Is checks. Is there any change that you would make we in existing have, we gun laws? Very are there any changes that you would make on the state or the national level as it relates to gun laws? Because every item I've raised, every idea I've raised, you said, quote, it won't work. What change, if any, would you make? In Parkland, this individual committed multiple felonies, yet he was never arrested. The fact of the matter is that Parkland occurred because the government failed to do their job. We have to enforce the laws that are in the books. You would make no changes in existing laws. We already have enough gun laws. They're not being enforced, so if we don't enforce the current Can't you laws... you give me a yes or a no? I'm giving you an explanation no, of why... No, but the answer is no. If you were in Congress, and you have a lot of opinions, mm -hmm. you would not try in any way to expand any existing... Excuse me to increase any of the laws, to add any laws to reduce gun violence, because right now you believe it's an enforcement question of the laws we have. That's what I heard. Am I mischaracterizing it? No, that's exactly what it is. Go ahead. H.R. 8 passed. H.R. 8, explain five, to folks what it is. H.R. 8 is the most comprehensive background check bill that's been in Washington in years. It passed with bipartisan support. It passed the House with bipartisan support. Democrats and, it's and Republicans. Been, yes. And it's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk for, I believe, like 200 because? days. Because Mitch McConnell also answers to the gun lobby and the NRA leadership and not just well, his that, Wait a minute. That's, that's your opinion. True. Maybe just Mitch McConnell disagrees with it. Well, then he should. But if there are other senators that do, then he should call it for a vote. And let them vote. That's an interesting point. Would you be in favor of a vote, an up or down vote on this particular, is H.R. 8, if you will? You, comprehensive universal background checks. Let people decide, Democrats, Republicans, people who get support from the NRA or not. Let them vote, right? Mitch McConnell hasn't supported any gun legislation, including pro-gun legislation. No, I asked you, would you want to see a vote on it? Oh, I, it, you know, if people want to vote on it, that's Mitch McConnell's agenda, but I wouldn't support the legislation. Okay. Any agreement here? 
Well, I, I think we can agree to the fact the state police has said that over the 700 shootings we have in New Jersey, that over 91% of them are occurred by the same people, recidivist offenders. So what do you that agree, are what do you agree on then? Well, why the, the fact is the government is not doing their job. So we're going to agree that the government's not doing their job. That's your colleague's argument. Mm -hmm. And do you agree with that? I believe that crime is an issue in New Jersey in these five specific cities. And I'm really happy that Governor Murphy, and maybe we can, we can agree on this, that they've started this hospital-based initiative program to help get into those neighborhoods where those the, the gang crime is, where the inner city violence is, and mm. to help kind of stop the, stop the uh, help with the family, stop any kind of uh, retaliation, mm. get people the mental health help that they need. So okay. the government is trying to help. Mental health is a big piece of yeah. this. Let me ask you a quick question before yeah. we go. President Trump, give him a grade on gun violence. D. Give President Trump a grade on gun violence. He's done a great job, and I'll give him an A. An A and a D. Okay. Listen, I want to thank both of you for joining us on Think Tank for a spirited, but as always, respectful dialogue. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. Think Tank with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, New Jersey Resources, The Law Firm of Gibbons PC, United Airlines, MD Advantage Insurance Company, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, and by Kessler Foundation. Promotional support provided by Tap Into TV, and by Jaffe Communications. Transportation provided by Airbrook Limousine, serving the metropolitan New York, New Jersey area.